Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. And we are here on, uh, we're recording on March 8th. You'll probably listening to this a, a day or two later, ahead of week four of the college baseball season. We are we're moving right along. We're, we're into conference play in, in some cases, and we're going to get into that this, uh, this episode as we talk about the start of ACC play and Pac-12 play. We're going to take a spin around those conferences as, uh, as they get ready to, uh, to get started, see uh, what kind of surprises the, the season has already brought to us in the first three weeks uh, in the ACC and in the Pac-12. Uh, we had a little bit of news this week as uh, Sienna coach Tony Rossi announced he will retire uh, effective two weeks from, from Monday. Uh, he's in his 54th season. As a, as a head coach, so we're going to talk a little bit about him and uh, get into uh, some of the, the action that, that's happened this week. Uh, we're down to three undefeated teams in the country, and uh, so a, a lot happening here in college baseball. Peter, it was uh, as we record this on Wednesday, it was a, a fun Tuesday night uh, around the country. I, I, I know you were, you were excited about that. We had some fun action on Monday. Thatcher Hurd pitched for LSU. Uh, and it was a it was a great weekend of college baseball. We're uh, we're in the thick of it, and and there's there's just been a lot of baseball, a lot of really high quality baseball to be watching. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really fun midweek slate. There were kind of as always a few sneaky games that I had on my radar, um, but then some that caught me by surprise that I really wasn't, admittedly, planning on having to follow super closely. I know BC and Tennessee was one, Santa Clara and Stanford was another. Um, and then even UTA and TCU, uh, UTA took them down. So it was a really busy Tuesday. And then with the start of conference play, there's a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. I, uh, I listeners will long time listeners will know that I don't put a whole lot of stock in midweek baseball games when it comes to rankings and, and the like weird things happen and coaches clearly don't take them as seriously as they do the the weekends. That's why you see the best pitchers pitch on the weekends. Um, but still, th- last night there were four top 10 teams that lost. Uh, we don't get that very often. And, and early early in the years, some go- some goofy things happen on, on Tuesdays, and we've had some very goofy things happen uh, so far. But I also feel like we're, we're this these midweek games give us an opportunity to learn something about teams and – uh, one of the teams we're going to talk about in the ACC surprises is Boston College. They're nine and one now, and uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't put a ton of stock into what happens on Tuesday and Wednesday. But when BC goes into Tennessee and wins and improves to nine and one, I mean that that makes you uh, sit up and, and take notice. And uh, that wasn't the only result that was like that. We're down to three undefeated teams in part because two undefeated teams lost last night. Wake Forest lost for the first time, maybe not coincidentally, uh, playing on the road for the first time. They went to Coastal Carolina uh, in the shots, uh, who have been a little bit up, up and down. They're they're a little they're they're reloading a little bit this year, and they're you know they're they're finding their footing. But they're they're a quality team, and uh, they beat Wake last night. And then Troy, which uh, has been off to a you know a, a really flying start. Of course, they're undefeated. Uh, they lost to Florida Gulf Coast. FGCU was coming off of a, a massive series win on the weekend at uh, at Florida State. And so, I mean, those two results, and you can throw BC into this if you want, Peter, or any of the other ones, UTA, Santa Clara, 
uh, UTA beating TCU, Santa Clara going to to beat Santa Clara going to beat beat Stanford. But I I, I feel like yeah. Gulf Coast, I don't know that, it, that, that, that they needed validation or that Troy provided the same level of validation. Uh, but, I mean, the, the validation that, that some of these teams are getting on Tuesday do, does feel significant. I agree. I think I, I think you made a great point in saying that, you know, not to be too reactionary with the midweek games. I think, obviously, we, we take it into consideration when we rank at the end of the week. But I think it shows more a lot about the teams that are pulling off these kind of upset wins than it does a club like Tennessee, like last night, I don't think is a cause for any concern for volunteer fans or the volunteers as a program. But I think it does prove that BC might actually be a solid team. That's for real. They're going to be a thorn in a lot of ACC team sides. We can get into it a little more when we bounce around the ACC, but in Florida Gulf coast, that was a really nice resume boosting win. I know they play again tonight at Troy, which will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but they are, they're a really quality club this past weekend. They went on the road to Tallahassee and took two of three from Florida state. And they looked really good while doing it. Um, so they're a team I'm really excited about in the Atlantic sun. And then I think the most surprising result of the night was Santa Clara really kind of taking it to Stanford. Um, they were up 10, nothing in the sixth, uh, Stanford tried to make it a little interesting. They hung a five spot, I think in the fifth, but, it was all Broncos um, and Stanford is notorious for getting off to kind of these. They're really not off to a slow start. They're nine and three, but they're kind of notorious for a slower early slash middle of the season and then just hitting their stride at the perfect point. So again, not really concerned about the Cardinal, but that was a, that was definitely the most surprising result of the night. So like I mentioned, Wake and Troy dropped from the ranks of the undefeated. We had five undefeated teams coming out of the weekend. Now there are three, Alabama, NC State, and Virginia. Alabama plays tonight, as we record on Wednesday, against Alabama State at home. They're looking to go to 14-0. Let's just assume for the purposes of this that they make it. And uh, so then they'll go into – they would then still be undefeated going into the weekend again with a, a win tonight. They play Columbia at home. Meanwhile, those two ACC teams have to go on the road. Virginia is at North Carolina. NC State is at Miami. It feels unlikely that they're going to be undefeated coming out of the weekend. Those are you know, quality conference opponents on the road. Typically, you don't sweep those series. Now, it's certainly possible that they do, but typically, they, you, you don't see those kinds of series get swept. And Columbia is kind of a sneaky, tough opponent for Alabama. They are coming off of an Ivy League tournament title. They were a regional team a year ago, and they made the regional final in uh, in Blacksburg. So not the easiest opponent that Alabama's faced to this point. The schedule for Alabama has not been good. Um, Peter, do you think there's an undefeated team, though, uh, when we talk this time next week? That's a great question. I think I'm with you totally in saying that I think it's inevitable that each of the ACC teams drop a game. Um, I think that a team like NC State is in a good spot to take two or three from Miami. But again, going on the road in the ACC, especially to UNC and Miami, that's that's no small task. So I think that they probably drop one game each, um, hopefully for their sake, not two. Um, I we could get into the series a little more, but I, I think that a team even like Miami, who's been a little bit off to a slower start, 
um, could pose some trouble for NC State, who has played a lighter schedule so far, and especially UVA, who's played a really light schedule um, heading to UNC. But I think Alabama's in a good spot to keep, uh, I, I think, winning um, with a game against Alabama State and then three against Columbia, who I, I know that they won't take lightly. They're a quality club, probably the class of the Ivy League. Um, but I just feel like Alabama's in as the best spot of the three undefeateds to for us to still be talking about them next week, um, sitting there at seventeen and zero or, or eighteen and zero, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, the tide uh, off to a really strong start. Um, been a little bit difficult to get a feel for exactly what they are. Uh, Tuesday night was their first road game of the season. That's partially not their fault. They were supposed to play at Pepperdine uh, in week two, but um, poor weather on the West Coast led a bunch of teams to bail on those series. And uh, so Alabama played High Point at home instead. And, you know, it is what it is. If if you're a major conference team and you haven't played on the road yet um, much this season. And uh, so we'll, we'll learn more and we'll learn a lot more next week about Alabama when they play South Al- at South Alabama and then go to Gainesville. So tricky times ahead for the Tide for sure, but it's a good team, and it's a team that, that very well could be the last undefeated team standing this year, uh, and it's a, and it's experienced. Um, I'm, I'm interested to learn more as the season goes out on about them, but it's, uh, it's a team that literally every week uh, we, we talk about putting in the top 25 and uh, just have it been able to reward them yet because uh other teams have had more impressive weekends throughout the year but i i think it's a pretty good chance like like you said peter that we're looking at them as the the last undefeated team and um you know eventually they keep this up we're uh we're gonna have to rank them maybe that'll come this weekend i i know that you've you've been itching to do it you're you're definitely a believer in the not that i'm not but you uh you certainly are a believer yeah, just like you, I think they're a really high-quality club. Um, they have a lot of the, I think, intangibles that you look for in a team that can sustain success, not only in the regular season, but make a regional run. Obviously, there's there's veteran presence all over the field. You know, Drew Williamson has led the charge for the offense, and Andrew Pinkney out in the outfield. Um, you even have a guy like Tommy Seidel, who his numbers might not jump off the page, but um, again, I think he's I think he's 25. So um, his veteran presence has definitely fell in the dugout. And then their freshman, um, their star freshman, Colby Shelton, has just been he's been outstanding this year. He's I think he's hitting around 400, and he hit two more home runs last night against San Samford to give him nine on the year. Um, and then their pitching staff has been great. So um, again, if they go four and zero this week, it would almost maybe be impossible. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the rankings, but looking ahead, if they were able to, to stay undefeated and then, you know, beat South Alabama and, and somehow take two of three from Florida, uh, they'll be in a really good spot, um, on that front. So I'm excited to see what they do this weekend. As always, it's fun to follow the undefeated teams and kind of, um, follow their games extra close, but I'm really excited for next weekend for when they play Florida, which is, which will be their first true test of the year. So I mentioned that Siena coach Tony Rossi uh, announced his retirement this week. That happened on Monday evening. Uh, it's taking effect in two weeks, um, probably not coincidentally, right before uh, the Metro Atlantic uh, begins conference play. 
Uh, Rossi is in his 54th season at Siena. He's 79. He is the longest tenured uh, active coach, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, longest tenured coach, uh, baseball coach in Division I history. And I think it's the second longest tenured baseball coach across any of the NCAA divisions. Don't have it in front of me who it was, but it, there was one coach in Division Three who coached for 59 seasons as a head coach, which is remarkable. Uh, have to imagine that record will never be broken. But uh, Tony Rossi arrived at Siena you know, in a completely different time, Siena was a Division II program. Uh, he was a part-time, it was a part-time job to be the baseball coach. So he was also like a local high school teacher. You can read a lot about the the history of, uh, of, of Rossi's career in a story that uh, Joe Healy wrote for us uh, a year ago. Uh, just remarkable that, that he kept coaching for, uh, for as long as he did. And, Took, took Siena into Division One ultimately into the NCAA tournament twice. He will be replaced uh, in two weeks by Joe Sheridan, who is currently the, the team's pitching coach uh, and recruiting coordinator. Uh, Sheridan only finished his college career two years ago. He's 25. So Siena will go from having the oldest coach in Division One baseball to having the youngest coach in Division One baseball when that transition takes place. Not a whole lot more to say about about Tony Rossi's career. It was, uh, you know, incredible in its length, and he did uh, an awful lot for that program. Uh, you know, really almost literally built the program. Uh, it, it's uh, it's an incredible career, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll just wish him uh, happy trails uh, in two weeks. He still has uh, has a couple more weeks of of coaching until we get to that point, though. Yeah, just an unbelievable career, like you said. Tony Rossi, Tony Rossi is and, and always will be Siena baseball. I think 936 career wins. Like you mentioned, he, he inherited them as a division two program, eventually making the jump to a D one program, took him to a regional a couple of times, 936 career wins. Um, and the D three coach was Gordy Gillespie. I was able to quickly find that one out. Uh, he, he coached 59 years. So, um, those two records I think will never be broken and, and all the best to coach Rossi as he enters retirement in 12 days. And hopefully he can rack up a couple more wins before he does. It won't be easy though, because they, they go to Gainesville this weekend. Um, so maybe he can do it next weekend when they take on Richmond. Uh, yeah, the, uh, I, I'm glad that he's not retiring at the end of this weekend because, uh, this, <laughs> this, that would be a really tough one to go out on at Florida for three games. I agree. I think if they win somehow on the Sunday game, he should retire after the Sunday game. They are coming off of, it, it should be said, they, they've won two games this season. Uh, they both happened this last weekend uh, against uh, Miami of Ohio. Uh, so the, the they're coming off of a, of a, a two-in-one weekend. So good on the Saints uh, for that. And yeah, six more games uh, for, for Coach Rossi. Uh, at Florida and then at Richmond next weekend. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to dive into the start of ACC play and Pac-12 play here in a second. But first, check this out. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. 
Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so the first... Power conferences uh, are going to get conference play underway this weekend. That's uh, happening in the ACC and the Pac-12. Almost every ACC team is in conference play this weekend. Louisville and Clemson are not. But we do get uh, some really fun series. I, I think that the slate is is a really great one to start off with. We've already mentioned Virginia going to North Carolina and NC State going to Miami. Uh, those are very intriguing. Uh, Boston College is at Virginia Tech. We mentioned BC now nine and one uh, ahead of a game that they played today. Uh, but that that has gone way, like if you asked us three weeks ago, we probably wouldn't have really been all that interested in that series. But especially coming off of what happened Tuesday and just the way that Bird Ball has started this season, uh, that is now very intriguing. Wake Forest is at Duke. Notre Dame is at Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm pretty intrigued by that one. Uh, and Pitt is at Florida State. So, uh, Peter, I, I don't want to dive into too many of these. Like, we will have plenty of time to break down individual ACC series and in, uh, in the weeks to come. But we we have learned some things already uh, this year about these ACC teams. One is that Louisville is as good as we thought they were. They are coming off of a big time 3 and 0 week at the Shriners College Classic uh, that really kind of rubber stamped their their credentials as a national title contender I would say we've learned that BC is probably better than we thought they were going to be uh, what what else has uh, has stood out to you so far within uh, within ACC play yeah i think wake is also as advertised maybe even somehow a little bit better than the sky high expectations they were facing heading into the year their pitching staff has been outstanding, and then you you can't really say, say much about the offense. I mean, it's it's Wilkin, Kurtz, uh, Cessary, Corona, Tommy Hawk is hitting, I think, around 530. There are no breaks in that lineup. Sean Sullivan and Rhett Lauder have, have been outstanding on the mound and in, in filling the shoes of Teddy McGraw in his, in his absence. So I think Wake is also for real. I'll know, and I think everyone will know a lot more about NC State after this weekend, um, anytime you can win 13 games in a row in baseball is very impressive, regardless of opponent. And they've done it in impressive fashion. They've they've kind of dismantled the competition in a lot of these wins. So it's not like they're getting into other than the Sunday game. It's not like they're getting into close games against teams like NJIT, who who is actually a quality program. People will look at NJIT and and think that it's a team that they should be beating by 20 runs, but. They're a, they're a solid program in the Northeast. Um, but I think if they can go down to UVA this weekend and or go down to Miami this weekend and win that series, then I think that the Wolfpack will show that 
I don't want to stick like a national title contender on them just because that's such a, a lofty label. But I think that they're squarely in that when as when all is said and done, definitely in the hosting picture and potentially even more. So I think we'll know a lot about how they handle their first quality opponent, especially in a hostile environment like Miami. And I think that the same can kind of be said for UVA, a pretty light non-conference slate um, where they were just taking it to opponents. Um, but I, I'm really impressed with their depth on both sides of the baseball um, offensively. Again, kind of like Wilkin and Kurtz for Wake. Um, it's been Geloff and Teal, and then they've also gotten good starting pitching. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how, I guess, two of the three undefeated teams left to handle their first real test of the year. Um, and then other than that, I think BC, like you said, has probably been the most surprising team. I, I think the chefs are preparing. Um, they're getting my crow ready, uh, depending on how they do this weekend. <laughs> and then I'm hoping just for just for a- after last night's win and, and for their sake heading into AC play, I do hope that they beat um, UNC Asheville today just because I think that would add a lot of intrigue as a 10 and one team heading on to take on Virginia tech, but they've been great. Um, in the past, BC has really struggled, especially on the mound. Um, offensively, they've actually, they've had immense talent on both sides of the baseball actually, but offensively, especially with the likes of Luke gold, Sal Frelick, Cody Morissette in years past, but it's always been the pitching that's held them back. Small sample size this year, but team ERA of three, three, and that's almost a four run difference. Um, from last year. So pitching coach Kevin Vance has done a good job. And it's just a bunch of guys who throw strikes and and can command the baseball really well. There isn't anyone with super loud stuff, I guess you could say. Um, But they all throw strikes and avoid barrels. And, and that's really all you need sometimes. And then the offense, they've, they've been great. Cameron Leary has been awesome to start off the year. He's a Last night he hit his fifth home run, a go-ahead one in the top of the 10th inning, and he's cut his strikeouts down. Joe Vitrano has been great, and they're doing this with sometimes without Travis Honeyman. He's missed a couple of games due to injury, but he's off to a bit of a slow start. So if Honeyman can get going, the pitching can kind of stay consistent a little bit. Um, they're going to be a really interesting follow for all of ACC play. Um, so again, I'm very, we'll know a lot more about some of these potential, I think contenders, I know UVA and NC state are, are definite contenders, but, um, in a, in a little bit of a different tone than BC, but after this weekend, we'll know a lot more. So yeah, BC has been a surprise. And then other than that, in kind of glancing around the conference, FSU is also, I think a little bit better than we'd initially thought coming into the year. And then on the flip side, I think Miami is a little bit worse than we thought. Um, it's just been really tough on the mound for the hurricanes. Um, and then outside of yo Morales and, and Zach Levinson, it's been a, a bit of a struggle on offense. So um, yeah, I think the ACC is a deep conference as usual. Um, there's a chance it ends up being a eight or nine bid league when all is said and done. Um, but I'm really looking forward to conference play starting and then in these teams just kind of beating up on each other. The, the BC situation is, is quite interesting. They pitched incredibly well. Like if you, if you haven't really thought much about BC since they were in super regionals, uh, you might find it 
strange that they've struggled on the mound as much as they have because that was kind of the strength of that team with Justin Dunn and and Michael King. But since then, Jim Foster left after that season and became the head coach at Army, and he had been the pitching coach. And I don't think those <laughs> that's a coincidence that BC kind of lo- was lost on the mound for a little while. But you mentioned Kevin Vance coming in, and, and it seems like things are going a lot better uh, for BC on the mound wow. right now, which is significant wow. because they have recruited and developed hitting pretty darn well uh, over the last several years. And so if they're now going to marry these two things, they become pretty intriguing. And if you look at BC's schedule to this point, it's not just like, oh, they beat Tennessee last night, like, let's go crazy. Uh, meanwhile, they played you know, the rest of their games are against a bunch of nobodies. That That is wow. not the case. They lost on opening day to Pepperdine. They wow. come back to win that series in Malibu. And look, I don't know how good the Waves are this year. They're under 500 right now. Uh, but they've played a challenging wow. schedule. And Pepperdine is typically a team that's going to finish in the top wow. half of RPI. So, like, it's, it's, a, it's something. Uh, they have a win against Rutgers. And look, Rutgers is really fighting it right now. But... That's a team that was expected to you know, contend at the top of the Big Ten again this season. Uh, they swept Kennesaw State uh, over the, this last weekend, and Kennesaw State under 500 after getting swept at home, but that was an NCAA tournament team last year. Uh, and then, of course, they beat Tennessee. So you know, we'll find out a lot more this weekend against Virginia Tech, a team that we think is really good, a team that I think can get to Omaha but uh, so far, so good for BC. Uh, I'm also very intrigued by what NC State has done to this point, because if you like coming into the season, we liked NC State uh, a lot positionally, had some questions about them on the mound um, and just had some questions about how they were going to fit everything together offensively. They had probably too many. They, like, if you looked at it, it was you know, I'm not saying it's LSU level of depth in terms of like, how are you going to fit nine guys into this lineup? But they had more than nine guys that they could have reasonably put into a lineup. Um, and so I'm, I've just been interested in how that's gone to this point. And Carter Trice and Parker Nolan, two of their top transfers in this, this year, Trice from ODU, and he's a significant draft prospect, and Nolan from Davidson, haven't really clicked yet. Uh, Trice does have five home runs, but he's hitting 265, and um, like you would assume that that will improve eventually. And Parker Nolan, who's a really good defender and he's helping the team in other ways, is hitting uh, just 256 to this point. If those guys like lock in, um, you know, I feel like that maybe as some of other players in, in NC State's lineup come back to earth a little bit, like I don't think that Peyton Green is going to continue at his absurd pace he has seven home runs already this season as some of those guys fall back to earth if they can get trice and nolan going a little bit more like they should be able to continue to hit at a really high level even as the competition uh increases and meanwhile on the mound um they found some some good things justin lawson has been great at the back end of the bullpen he has allowed one run in 11 innings 16 strikeouts one walk to this point uh, they found uh, what looks like a pretty solid rotation. And they're because they found a rotation of Fritton, Waldenson, and Whitaker, they have the freedom to use Sam Heifel out of the bullpen kind of as a relief ace. And so I'm also just interested in how that 
pitching staff continues to uh, to come together because they have a lot of pieces there. Uh, what's that going to look like as uh, as the season goes on? Um, but but it looks like they have some real anchors in place at least to this point. Yeah, I I agree, and and you made a good point about the offense. I don't think for as good players they are. I don't think Kalai Harrison, Peyton Green, Trevor Candelaria. I don't think, and I guess you could throw Eli Serrano in there, albeit a, a smaller sample size. I don't think that they, if they do, I I mean unbelievable, but. Uh, I don't think they hit at that 390 to 430 clip they have been all year. But on the flip side, I think that guys like Carter Trice, Gino Groover, even you could throw in there, and Parker Nolan also see a significant uptick in their production. And then also just balls finding some green. So I, I think that it levels out and it gives the Wolfpack a a really formidable and sustainable offense to to kind of be able to get into these shootouts with teams when necessary. And I think the biggest thing, like you said, because in the past it's always been okay. NC state's offense is great. They can really hit, but they, their pitching is going to do them in. They finally have an identity. I think on the mound, they have a great rotation. Like you mentioned, Fritten's a freshman um, who they, it looks to, it looks like they've got a really good arm on their hands for the next few years. Matt Willardson coming back and being healthy and pitching at this level, 19 Ks to two walks and 18 innings has been great. Um, and then Logan Whitaker uh, has also been good. He's more of a pitchability guy, but pounds the strike zone, misses barrels, and and that's kind of really all you need to do. And then they've got some bullpen depth. Again, another true freshman with Andrew Schaffner and then Sam Highfill, who's kind of mixed in that sidearm submarine slot. So this is all of a sudden, um, I, I think on both sides of the baseball, obviously offensively, but this is a really, really strong club. And I'm very curious to see how they do down at Miami because a series win and even a series sweep taking it a step further would, would speak real volumes about the, the kind of quality club that we have on our hands. As for Miami... I'm pretty concerned at this point. Um, you know, that's a team that, you know, we put in the top 10 coming into the year opinions. If you look at polls around college baseball on Miami, like a, a lot of times, if you look at polls around college baseball, for as much as people talk about like, oh, there are too many polls and everything like, yeah, it, it ends up being a lot of groupthink. Uh, Miami was not that there, there was a wide range of opinions. We were on the upper end of outcomes potentials for for Miami. And so far, they are not hitting those. Florida is going to make a lot of teams look bad throughout the season. So I don't want to get too, too down on Miami just because Miami uh, went to Gainesville and had a, had a bad weekend. That happens. First of all, that happens to Miami anytime in the last 16 years. Well, I guess they only go to Gainesville half the time. But anytime in the last 16 years Miami has played Florida, they've probably lost. Kevin O'Sullivan is winning like 70% of his games against the Canes in his tenure. It's absurd. Uh, he's actually beating the Canes at a higher rate than he beats the rest of the, the teams that Florida plays. Anyone. Like, like overall, Kevin O'Sullivan's winning percentage is less than it is specifically against Miami. Remarkable. Anyway, um, but if you look at the Canes, they're not pitching well this year at all. Andrew Walters came back and he is pitching again like an All-American closer. 
Uh, he has yet to allow a run in six innings. He's got 14 strikeouts, no walks. Like things are going great at the back of the bullpen. But you have to get him the ball with the lead, or else, or at least in a tie game, or else that's not useful. And Miami's really struggled to do that. Carson Ligon has been fine. He got hit around a little bit uh, against Florida. Again, it's going to happen, but Carson Ligon, if you look at what he did last year, uh, he faded down the stretch. So what's going to happen to Ligon this year? And then Gage Steele has not handled the move to Friday nights from the bullpen particularly well. Alejandro Rosario uh, you know, continues to be mercurial as a starter. This is his third year of that. Like At some point, he is what he is, I feel like. So Miami has to figure some things out on the mound. And, you know, you'd like to believe that they will. I like the talent level still, but it's getting late early if you're Miami because it wasn't just Florida that hit them around a little bit. Uh, you know, they they struggled to dispatch Penn State on opening weekend. Like everything has kind of come difficult for Miami to this point. And I don't want to go crazy like this is an eight and four team or whatever, but they they kind of need this weekend to go well at home against NC State or else things might start to spiral for them. Yeah, I wouldn't call this weekend or for any team um, necessarily a must-win weekend, um, but this is, a I think, about as close as you can get to a must-win weekend for the Canes where they've got to take two of three from NC State. I think, like you said, it's particularly concerning on the mound um, they've been hitting pretty well. Obviously, Yo-Yo Morales has been has exceeded expectations. Zach Levinson's been great, and then they've they look like they've got a really good prospect on their hands in Blake Sear, the true freshman. But um, that only means so much if the pitching staff is on average. I think their team ERA is a little bit above five, but um, it, it, the rotation in particular and that really worries me. Like you mentioned with Ligon, um, the numbers are fine. Um, but again, he got hit, hit around last week against Florida, which I think we'll be saying about almost any starter that faces Florida this year. But, um, he's a guy who last year, like you said, got his, got off to a great start. Um, then he faced some higher quality teams, um, and didn't have as good of a start. So I think this weekend's big for him. And then, the the other two pieces of the rotation in Zeal and Rosario, um, that's where it gets a little bit hairy and you kind of are looking around for, okay, maybe, you know, who are some pieces that the Hurricanes can shuffle in to, you know, maybe move Rosario or Zeal to the bullpen. I think a lot of people's first thought would be, oh, Andrew Walters should get a chance to start. Well, they tried it in the fall. And there's a reason he's still closing games and he's the best closer in the country. So it's not like they're like, Oh geez, we got to put Andrew Walters in the bullpen. There's no better guy to get the ball at the back end of games. But if Andrew Walters was an effective starter, he'd be in there right now. So I think that I wouldn't say you're stuck with this rotation. Um, Maybe you see a guy like Ben Chestnut, who's been good to start off the year slide in there for either Rosario or zeal. Um, but this is kind of what the Hurricanes are going to have to be working with um, as we head into conference play, and they're going to have to figure it out fast because the ACC is is really good this year, I think even better than in years past, um, especially if a team like Boston College is going to compete at a high level where that's not going to be a gimme series anymore. So 
they've got to write the ship fast. And like you said, if they get swept or lose two of three at home, kind of in commanding fashion, like they did Florida, um, things could get out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, it does not start easy for Miami. And, and that makes this weekend probably all the more important. After this week, they host Virginia Tech, then they go to Wake, then they have Florida State, then they go to UVA, they go to NC State. And that takes us through mid-April, and like that's the first six weeks of the season. None of those are easy. All of those teams currently are ranked in the, well, I guess Florida State just dropped out. All of those teams have at one point this year been ranked in the top 25. They're all top 25 caliber. Um, and, you know, there aren't many off weeks in the ACC, but to see a schedule front-loaded like that for a team that uh, if they let what happened at Florida fester at all, uh, things, like I said, they, they could they could go the wrong way for, uh, for Miami relatively quickly. Um, quickly elsewhere in the ACC, Georgia Tech is uh, interesting to this point. They lost their rivalry series uh, against Georgia this weekend, but those are the only two losses they've taken so far. Haven't played the best competition. I look forward to learning more about Georgia Tech. Uh, particularly on the mound. It looks like they're going to rake again. No surprise there that we're talking about Georgia Tech and hitting and wondering about their pitching. But uh, to this point, that, again, is uh, is the question mark. Duke is uh, is 9-3, and three, uh, kind of quietly. Uh, they swept Baylor in a really loud way um, a week ago. Otherwise, you know, they have a win against ECU, a loss against Liberty. We're, we're going to learn more this week when they play wake um and uh notre dame off to a five and four start clearly not as good as they've been the last few years uh but also you know they have yet to play like they haven't even played a neutral site game everything's been on the road uh they've handled it relatively well they did lose opening weekend in a series at lipscomb that's not going to look great ever um but they uh, they won a series at UNC Greensboro, which just swept Rutgers last weekend. Uh, they won a series against UAB, which is probably going to be okay this year. Um, there's still a couple weeks from getting home, but this weekend against Georgia Tech is uh, if 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 Notre Dame's going to be anything like I, I can't even say anything close to what they've been the last two years because th- that was an Omaha team a year ago and uh, very nearly Omaha team the year before. But if they're if they're going to look like a tournament team this year, I think they've got to get something going this weekend uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, I agree. I think that the troubles for the Irish stem uh, offense on offense, their pitching has been good so far. Uh, Jack Finley's been outstanding. Aiden Terrell's been good as well. Um, but as a team, they're hitting just one seventy nine, which um, it's not going to get it done, <laughs> right? It's it's pretty alarming to be sitting here. And again, they've played solid teams, but they haven't played kind of the cream of the crop. So for them to be hitting 179 as a team through nine games, I think is, uh, is pretty alarming, especially when you head into a series with a team like Georgia tech, who you're going to have to hit with um, to keep up with them. And then you're going to have to do the same against a lot of these teams in the ACC, NC state, UVA. They're not equipped to get into shootouts with, anyone in the country right now let alone ACC team so that, that I just looked this up that is dead last dead last in the country wow. I can't say it's surprising yeah, you should be surprised at 179 but it is surprising that Notre Dame 
or any power conference team is dead last in batting. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know. I should have known that. I didn't know that, but yeah. So offensively, they've really got to get going and they've got to get going quick. I think it's a little bit disappointing for them that guys like Carter putts and is off to, he's I think six for 33 to start off the year with no extra base hits. Um, I know Jack Penny's another guy they were looking at to potentially take a leap forward. He's two for 28. Um, and then the only guys hitting above 300 have at bats of 21 or less. So there really isn't anyone with a legit sample size who's producing at a high level, which isn't a shock considering they're hitting 179, but they've got to really start hitting and fast or else um, these results could get kind of ugly when they face again, a team like Georgia tech, NC state, uh, wake forest, you can kind of name all the ACC teams, but uh, they've got to figure it out. Yeah, the ACC looks to be very offensive this year. That's probably like my biggest overarching takeaway about the the conference is that uh, you look around and you know NC State is raking and UVA is raking and of course Wake Forest is raking and Louisville's hitting really well and Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech and you know on and on. Florida State looks like they're a better offensive team this year. Like it, there are going to be some runs scored, and uh, that's not to say there aren't good pitchers in the conference, but. I think in any given ACC series this year, you better be ready to score some runs or else you're going to be flying against the, the, the prevailing winds of, of the conference, which right now seem to be pointed to, uh, to a more offensive league. And I guess just having mentioned Louisville, we probably should like, they are not playing ACC baseball this weekend because, um, you know, they don't have finals issues that some of these other schools do. So they always start a week later in conference play, but it should be noted that they are they are who we thought they were. Uh, that rotation, uh, what they did last weekend in Houston, uh, was remarkable. And uh, you know, Louisville Louisville's a real problem this year for the rest of the ACC. I think that uh, the last you know in twenty twenty one, obviously Louisville was down, misses the NCAA tournament. Uh, last year they were back, but maybe not quite fully operational as as what we've. Uh, you know, grown accustomed to seeing uh, this is this is a kind of Louisville team that that looks like not only an Omaha contender but but a national title contender. Yeah, well said. I think last weekend in Houston was was very loud. Um, obviously, Ryan Hawks has been outstanding. He turned in another good start. Carson Liggett and Greg for their their whole rotation. Um, you can't really. I don't. I'm not going to call Greg Ferone a part of the rotation yet. Um, but he he's pitched be- just once in the rotation. Was pitching in relief the previous two and he's a junior college transfer so yeah mostly in relief at Herkimer yeah his numbers at Herkimer were were video game like but like you said the cards are very firmly in that national championship discussion I think that they're one of the most complete teams in the country their offense is hitting 336 their pitching is has been outstanding they've got a great rotation bullpen depth is solid um they've just gotten production from everyone up and down the roster so um, again, they don't start ACC play until next week when they take on Georgia Tech. But um, this is this is a team that is, like you said, perfectly. Uh, they're they're going to be a real problem. All right, let's flip our attention out west. Pac-12 is also starting conference play this week. Uh, things have gone maybe a little bit more to form uh, for for the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Oregon took a tough weekend a couple weeks ago. 
getting swept at home by UC Santa Barbara. They dropped out of the top 25 as a result. But UCLA, Stanford, Oregon State have all been good to this point. Stanford's taken a pair of tough midweek losses to Cal and uh, Santa Clara, like we mentioned. And that probably is indicative about the depth of their pitching staff, which is not terribly surprising. They're going to have to work into that. Uh, But this was a team that we were more excited about the offense and the high-end pitching more than the depth of the pitching. So I find Stanford to be pretty much what we thought they were. Um, UCLA took a tough series loss at Vanderbilt, but they pitched well. They just got beat by Vanderbilt's arms, basically. They couldn't get anything going offensively for much of the weekend. And, you know, that's going to happen to some teams that play Vanderbilt, especially teams that play in Nashville. Uh, I'm completely unconcerned by that result. Uh, And Oregon State has, you know, aside from a really weird opening day loss, uh, they've been uh, they've been who we thought they would be as well. So those teams kind of rolling along strangely or uh, not strangely, uh, more interestingly, I suppose, Washington State is 11 and one. That's the best record in the pack as uh, as we come into the conference play. UW is uh, is 10 and two. Peter liked uh, the Huskies coming into the season under first year coach Jason Kelly, and they're off to a really nice start. Uh, those are probably two of the best surprises. Cal was looking really good before going one and two in the Frisco Classic over the weekend. I'm not going to get overly excited one way or the other about Cal to this point, but um, you know they look like a team that that might be able to uh, to mix it up and and get something going uh, as Pac-12 play begins. Uh, and Arizona State is uh, maybe the most interesting team. On the other end of the league, they're just 500. They got swept over the weekend at home by UC Irvine. We talked about that series going into it on uh, on last week's podcast. We talked about how much we like the Anteaters. I didn't know we like the Anteaters as much as we do uh, coming out of that weekend. Uh, ASU still still really trying to find itself. But after going into the transfer portal as heavily as they did, uh, you know what we saw from teams that did that a year ago. Auburn AM in particular is that it took a little bit while it took a little bit of time for everything to gel for the coaching staff to learn the players for the players to learn their roles and they got a lot better throughout the course of the season it's too early for me to worry that much about where the Sun Devils are um, but what I will say is that Willie Bloomquist has a lot less experience than Butch Thompson and Jim Schlossnagel who were really able to you know coax those teams along and figure things out um, you know those are guys that had Omaha experience before last season when they got more of it eventually leading Auburn and AM to Omaha. Willie Bloomquist is in his second year as a college coach. So is he going to be able to have those same results? We'll, we'll find out. But uh, it, it is one difference in, in what they're trying to do this year uh, at Arizona State versus what some of those uh, heavy transfer teams a year ago did. I mean, even Coastal Carolina, which was didn't take the same kind of like tough losses that Auburn and AM did. They had a lot of transfers a year ago, but Gary Gilmore is a national championship coach and has been doing this for like 30 years or something. So uh, it's a little bit different, uh, again, when you have an experienced hand leading them versus what, uh, what ASU is doing. Yeah, I agree. I think that's well said. And I was really intrigued by the Sun Devils start. Uh, they started off 5-0. and Headlined by that really loud thirteen to four win at Mississippi State, they've since lost. I think 
They've lost six of seven in their only win. They eked by North Dakota State in what was a wild midweek game last week. Um, but like you said, we'll find out in due time um, how Coach Bloomquist's club is as a whole. Um, they've got another game with Oklahoma State as today um, in just a couple hours. Uh, so that that would be a nice win for them as they head into what should be a at least if they want to have kind of a, a really strong season and what should be a series that they would win um, against UC Davis followed up by a midweek. I mean, game. they have to sweep this weekend. Like I like, I like Tommy Nicholson and uh, I think he'll do good things at UC Davis in time. But uh, if they don't, if they take even one loss at home this weekend, unless UC Davis way exceeds expectations, that's going to be an RPI pain all year long. Yeah, and heading into uh, their their midweek game with Grand Canyon and, and weekend series against Arizona a few weeks down the road, in looking at their schedule between a game against Oklahoma State, three against UC Davis, and midweek against Utah Tech, and a series against Utah, I'm willing to – it's lofty, but I think that they need to win probably six of those eight to really be in a good spot heading into the, the brunt of their Pac-12 schedule. So – I think coach Bloomquist is a good coach. They really hit the transfer portal hard. Like you said, they have a good roster on paper. Freshman Luke Hill has been outstanding and, and just looking ahead and play. I mean, it's 42 at bats. It's a small sample size, but in seeing some video on him, he's going to be a really good prospect down the road. He's a, a, a pure hitter, great feel for the barrel advanced approach. Um, not to get too far in depth on him. I know that they would like to see so a little bit more out of Luke, Keishel, I think he's hitting just 205 right now. Power numbers haven't been super great. Um, but I, I Luke is a good player and I I would hope that he gets going at some point. Um, I think that this weekend against UC Davis and midweek against Utah Tech is a good way to kickstart that. Um, but yeah, they're they're still an intriguing club. I'm less as excited as I am now than I was after February 24th, which was when they beat Mississippi state, but I'm not writing them off just yet. Um, and then in glancing around the pack 12, like you said, nothing really surprising other than the two Washington teams being, I think really good. Uh, Washington state has a big test this weekend. I I'm almost positive that they play Oregon state. Yeah, they play That's Oregon correct. State. on the road. They're in Corvallis. Um, they're going <laughs> to, that's going to be a tough one. It's a tough yeah. way to start. I think I'm I'm ready to stick a for real label on them if they beat Oregon State. Uh, I'm not holding my breath because again, that's a very daunting way to start your Pac-12 schedule for anyone. Um, and then Washington, they're they're a team that I was very high on preseason. Uh, both of our Omaha sleepers so far are looking like at least educated picks, uh, with Alabama being undefeated, Washington being ten and two. Um, they've They've gotten outstanding pitching, particularly from Kiefer Lord, who was a guy that generated a lot of buzz this fall. Fastball up to 99, and he's been lights out um, in his first three starts, one five ERA. 26 Ks to three walks in 17 innings. That fastball obviously being the calling card. Shorter slider is uh, a secondary he'll need to improve on, but he's been dominating with his fastball. Again, lefty Stu Flesland has also been great. They've, been, they've made a nice one-two punch for the Huskies. Um, he's got a 170 RA, 24 Ks to two walks and 16 innings. And I'm not shocked that the pitching staff has been so good under the leadership of Coach Kelly. He was their former pitching coach, um, 
before he had stints at Arizona State and LSU. Um, and I know he's a guy that the players are really fond of in the clubhouse and like playing for. So I hope for my prediction, uh, they continue to play well. Um, but I think of the two, I guess, surprises in the Pac-12, and obviously this could this could change after this weekend with a series win at Oregon State, but I think Washington is is probably in better position of the two teams to continue this success and hang around the top, I'd say five or six teams of the Pac-12 as we get deeper into the season. So um, again, this weekend we'll say a lot for the Cougs. Um, it'll say a little less for the Huskies as they take on Utah. But other than that, the Pac-12 has been pretty chalk. Like you said, Stanford has a history of um, not getting off to these torrid, you know, 12 and 0, 13 and 0 starts like NC State, UVA. That's partially a product of playing a much harder schedule. But um, anytime someone seemed to have right off the Cardinal in the last three years, um, they make it to Omaha. They've made it in three of the last four full seasons. So not concerned in the slightest about the Cardinal. Um, and then the Pac-12 as a whole, again, is kind of is going as is going according to plan. So the UCLA this weekend visits Oregon. Uh, that is an intriguing series, um, especially seeing Oregon's bats against UCLA's arms, uh, the two strengths of those teams, although Oregon um, really struggled uh, hitting-wise against Santa Barbara. So uh, if they do that again this weekend, especially at home, like that starts to become more of a pattern and maybe more of a concern. But I'm... I, I'm a little bit more interested in Arizona and Cal uh, this weekend. Um, those are two teams that you figure are going to be fighting around the bubble line or, or the cut line within the Pac-12 to uh, to make the NCAA tournament. Like I would expect it would be Arizona above Cal at the end of the season. Uh, and Cal does have to go on the road this weekend to go to Tucson. Arizona's been pretty solid this year. Off to a nine and three start, they have that opening day win against Tennessee, uh, but then they, you know, lost a series at home to West Virginia. Uh, they have, uh, you know, they're going to come in on, on a six game winning streak. They beat Grand Canyon last night, uh, but what is the real Arizona is a little bit of a question right now, and what is the real Cal is also a little bit of a question. I mentioned they beat Stanford uh, in a midweek game already, and then they take a couple losses. Uh, last week in, in Frisco uh, against a solid field with uh, you know Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Mississippi State, but you know they aren't able to you know really make a statement in Frisco. Um, now they have another opportunity. Again, it's away from home. It won't be easy, but uh, Arizona is just an interesting team. Um, Chase Davis has been great so far this season. Mac Bingham is hitting pretty well. Nick McLarry is doing his uh, his typical thing there. Uh, you know, but I, I, I don't, I don't know how offensive this team is going to be. I don't know how pitching heavy this team is going to be. It, it, it's just, I'm still looking to learn about the Wildcats. I, I think that the collection of talent is there and that they look again, very much like an NCAA tournament team, but I do think Cal presents an intriguing test for them this weekend. I agree. And I was, I was excited about the bears with the start they got off to. And then I was excited about the bears until, the third inning of that uh, first Frisco classic game when Ian may went down with, unfortunately just by what I've read, even just on Twitter, um, what looks to be a, um, a, a pretty tough elbow injury. I don't 
think anyone knows the extent of it quite yet. Um, hopefully we'll know soon and hopefully um, it's not as bad as people were indicating. If it if they do lose Ian May for an extended amount of time, that's a massive, massive blow to the Bears. Um, he's He's been outstanding to start the year. Um, sparkling ERA through 16 innings. Just He's a pitchability guy, throws from a really tough, low three-quarter slot a la Cooper Jerpy. He's not the caliber pitcher Cooper Jerpy is. That's simply just the slide he throws from. Um, Tucker Bougie has been another guy on the mound who's been solid for them, um, as has Christian Becerra in the back end of the bullpen. They look to have a bona fide um, closer in him. Um, he's been great. And then on offense, they're led by two guys who I think are probably day one draft prospects in, in 2024, and Rodney Green especially, and Caleb Lomavita. Um, they're hitting 341 and 340 respectively. Um, Green Jr. in particular is really impressive if you look at him and his whole operation. Um, and if you remember, you you there he looks a lot like Dylan Beavers um, from that 2021 Cal team. Um, just really lanky, wiry frame. Good athlete, covers great ground in the outfield with long strides. And then at the plate, it's just a super loose, whippy swing with low hands. And then Loma Vita's also got an interesting profile as a catcher. He can really run um, and really handle the bat. So the Bears are intriguing. I'm with you that I think I'd probably put the Wildcats, I'd say, a tick above them at this point. Um, I, I think that they'll both be fighting for a regional bid, but I think when all is said and done, Arizona's in a in a better spot to eventually make the tournament, especially if Ian May goes down for, for a long period of time. I'll tell you what I know for sure about Cal, and that's that Mike New has a fantastic mustache right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a mustache March situation thing going on, but I, I hadn't seen a picture of him before the Frisco Classic, and uh, it is... It is fantastic. Uh, so if that's Mustache March, if that's just for real, whatever. Mike New, is uh, he, he's got it rocking right now. I got that. It's funny you mentioned that. I got that picture sent to me, no contact, um, over the weekend, and I had no idea who it was. And then when I heard it was Coach New, um, that, that made me an even bigger fan of the Bears. So um, this weekend, I think we'll... I, I think it'll say a lot for both teams. I think if, if Cal can go on the road to Tucson and take down Arizona then maybe I'd kind of swap my opinion on the two of them. I don't, I don't think I would just because that'd be pretty reactionary for one series. But um, if Arizona could come away with a solid series win to start Pac-12 play, um, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm very much a believer in them being a tournament team. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, a, a great way to look at it right now. And uh, I'll also say that Arizona kind of needs it this weekend because they're going to go to UCLA in a week and you don't want to start well, I mean, nothing's set in stone, obviously, like they could go to UCLA and win, but like you don't want to start conference play with back-to-back series losses. That would be, that'd be a tough way to go. And then they play Arizona State in a rivalry set. So like things, things could go wrong, go wrong quickly, or they could get off to a great start. And uh, so I would, I, I think that the, the Wildcats should be able to figure it out this weekend. I like their collection of bats. Um, I think their stuff on the mound. They're still rounding into form, but you know, I, I feel good about TJ Nichols. I feel good about Susac. They should be able to do it. Now they just have to go out and do it against Cal. 
Um, elsewhere this weekend, there's not a ton going on as uh, of high-level stuff as teams kind of get ready for the conference play to start in a week. Week three is usually a lot better than week four. Uh, but one that is going on that just want to touch on quickly before we get out of here is Iowa is traveling to Texas Tech. Um, Tech is coming off of a tough weekend uh, in Houston where they went one and two, fell from the ranks of the undefeated. They lost a brutal 16-inning game to A&M uh, on Sunday night to finish the, the weekend at the Shriners College Classic. Iowa only has one loss this year. They're also the only team to have beaten LSU so far. And the Big Ten looks not that good right now. Uh, but Iowa looks like a real bright spot. And they didn't come into the season as the Big Ten favorite, but they might be the Big Ten favorite right now. However, this is really Iowa's last chance to make a statement in non-conference play. Um, and in some ways, their only chance. Like, they did beat LSU, but it was in a one-off. Uh, on neutral site. This is a road series against a top 25 caliber team. If Iowa wants to really boost its tournament chances, they they, they kind of need to do something this week in Lubbock. Otherwise, they're going to be relying on kind of running through the Big Ten. If, if Iowa has, like, they, they can do that. They can make the, the tournament just fine doing that. But if they have designs on anything bigger, if they have designs on doing something like what Maryland did last year, and I'm not even sure that's on the table because Maryland played so much of a tougher schedule. But if they want to do anything like that, they absolutely have to win this weekend, which uh, is an intriguing dynamic for a series in the middle of March. I agree. And like you said, going back to how the selection committee viewed Rutgers last year, um, this is a series not to, not to be dramatic, but this is a series that will be discussed um, by the selection committee on selection Monday. If the Hawkeyes aren't able to win the big 10 title or kind of cruise through the big 10 in dominating fashion. So this is a, as, as big a series as you can get on a team level at, at this point in the season. I think that the Hawkeyes are a really good team, especially on the mound. Um, pitching coach Sean McGrath has done an outstanding job in his first year. They have, they just have stuff upon stuff between Brody Brecht, Marcus Morgan, and Ty Langenberg. There's not much more to be said about Brecht. Fastball up to 101. I'd, I'd argue that it's, an 80 fastball right now, excuse me, in college baseball. He's also got probably a 70 curveball. The key for him has just been commanding it. Um, and then a fun fact about Brecht, if you didn't know, he's also a wide receiver on the Iowa football team. So on the mound, super athletic mover, athletic build. Um, he's one of the premier arms in the country. And if he can command it well, um, he is really tough, almost impossible to hit. Um, Morgan, I think is in a similar boat, obviously minus the dual sport prowess. Um, but just in terms of stuff, it's a mid to upper nineties fastball sweepy slider. That's, that's really been good for him. Um, again, just the key has been command command has been better for him in the first few starts. Um, but he'll need to, he'll need to keep that going. And then Ty Langenberg is off to, a. I'd say an inconsistent start. I, I know that he had a lot of hype coming into the season. He had a great summer in the Cape Cod League. Um, he had a good fall. Um, but so far, the numbers have been rather pedestrian. Again, it's three starts. So if he throws even six or seven shutout innings, that ERA is going to plummet. And then it's a team that's built on pitching, no doubt. Um, and then I obviously Zach Volker, even out of the bullpen, has been great. Um, but it's a team built on pitching. 
Um, but offensively, a couple of guys to keep an eye on are, are Brennan DeRiggy and Keaton Anthony. Those are their two headliners. So, And Anthony also will chip in some innings on the mound. So I, I think it's a, a really, on paper, intriguing Hawkeye club and a, a team that could pose a lot of trouble for teams both in the regular season and then looking ahead to the postseason. And then Texas Tech, obviously, we 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 did drop them after the weekend that they had, um, but this is still a high quality club. Gavin Cash has been unconscious. Um, they've been pretty offensive so far with kind of that four headed monster of Cash, Dylan Carter, Austin Green, and Kevin Bazell. You can throw Gage Harrelson in there too. But um, they they've been really strong offensively. Pitching Mason Molina has been the guy who's really stood out. Two point nine ERA, twenty four Ks in fifteen innings. So. Um, this is going to be a really, really interesting early mid season series for, for both these teams. I think that similar to Arizona and Cal, maybe on a little bit of a bigger scale. Um, I, I think that the winner of this series, I, I think is firmly in that hosting borderline hosting discussion. Obviously if Iowa were to win this series or, or sweep the series, it becomes a more nuanced discussion. It's obviously, it's a really, it's really tough being in the big 10 and hosting what Maryland did last year is, is admirable in and of itself. So that discussion becomes a little more nuanced if Iowa were to win, but I think in just the caliber of a team that they are, the Hawkeyes are, would prove themselves as one of the better teams in, in the country. I think just from like a top 25 ish standpoint, if they were to win this year, this series in Lubbock. Yeah. Iowa was firmly on our radar to be ranked this week. Didn't we ran out of room. Uh, if they win this weekend, I doubt that happens again. Uh, but they're still a couple weeks away from the start of conference play. So uh, the schedule from here is uh, South Dakota state and Western Michigan before they start conference play with a, a series against Maryland. Um and that isn't until you know the the first weekend of, of April. So, still a little ways away from finding out what's what in the Big Ten. But like I said, the the conference so far is not off to a great start. Um, Maryland is sitting at five and seven and has played a difficult schedule. Like four of those losses came against Ole Miss or Vanderbilt. Um, so you know, not not easy. Uh, but also not the statement that they were looking to make in the early season. Uh, as they were coming off of, you know, that that title and, and, and hosting a year ago. Uh, Michigan, which, you know, won the Big Ten tournament a year ago, was 4-7, and seven, was outclassed in Houston over the weekend. Rutgers, a team that was picked second in the Big Ten, um, you know, that won 45 games last year and was arguably one of the biggest snubs in the in the tournament field a year ago. They're 4-7 and seven and just got swept at Greensboro. Uh, you know, Minnesota and Northwestern have a total of one win between the two of them and look like they're going to be significant RPI anchors on the conference. So, you know, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State, off to nice starts uh, at varying levels of, of what that means. Like, but relative to expectations, all of those teams off to really nice starts. Uh, but it's not the teams that we thought it was going to be. And so I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes from here in the Big Ten, basically. Uh, but Iowa can make a statement this weekend, and it would be uh, kind of a needed statement uh, for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think just one more quick point. I think it would be big even just for the conference as a whole if we were able to go into Lubbock and, and, be, and beat Texas Tech. I think 
come May, that would be big, not only for them, but for other teams, if we're still looking at Rutgers and Maryland, likely as two other at-large candidates. I don't think the Big Ten is a three-bid league, but um, for a potential second bid, um, that'd be big if, say, a Maryland can beat Iowa in a series or or Rutgers could beat Iowa. So um, this is a this is a big series, both for Iowa and then a potential domino effect down the road. Yeah, absolutely. The the Big Ten has been as many as a five-bid league. It's not going to be that this year. Last year was surprising that it was just a two-bid league. If it happens again this year, don't be surprised. Like that's that's the way we're trending after three weekends. And still time to change it, but that's the way that's the way things are looking. Uh, all right, so that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, you can follow along all weekend at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter A. Flaherty. Um, Peter <laughs> Peter G. Flaherty. Peter G. Flaherty. I, me and Carlos have the middle initial. I'll get it. I'll get it. What it Carlos is the A. Peter's the G. I'll get it one of these weeks. <laughs> We're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to round into mid-season form here one of these days. You can follow the, the – make sure you're subscribed to the podcast or following the podcast uh, on your favorite podcast app, be that iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, rather. iTunes is dead, I think. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, find the Baseball America podcast and hit that follow button and uh, rate and review uh, if you can. We really appreciate it, and it helps other people to find the podcast. We'll be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast talking all things as we uh, as we get ready for, uh, you know, it'll be conference play in, in a lot more leagues next week. We're looking forward to a great weekend uh, this week, again, as ACC and Pac-12 play starts. Uh, it's a fun time of year around baseball, uh, so hopefully you can catch some of the college games this weekend, and we'll be back here to talk next week on the Baseball America College podcast. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.